This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. And we will transition to our next guest, another wonderful alumna, a young alum, um, also working in the startup ecosystem as an entrepreneur, an entrepreneur as long as we've known her from her early student, student days. Caitlin Grasso is the CEO and founder of Jen Her Asian. In her role as CEO and founder, I will add, she has created the Generation Summer Leadership Series, developed original generation webisodes. I don't know what that is. We're going to have to have you break that down for old people <laughs> like us. Um, and grown the Generation community to more than 75,000 members. Generation aims to close the gender career achievement gap by connecting millennial and Gen Z women with global change-making organizations that advance women's professional opportunities. Caitlin, welcome to the show. Great to see you again. Thank you for having me here. Two of my favorite Wharton people, so I was so excited to receive the invitation today. Well, we're thrilled to have you, and there are so many directions we could take this conversation in, but let's start with the basics. You know, tell our listeners what Generation is and why you felt the need to create this organization. Of course. So Generation, we are a network where young women and companies connect through our digital platform and live events. So what that means is we service high school and college women from around North America and soon to be Australia. I was at the Wharton Global Forum in Sydney this year and we met some Australian contacts. But uh, we have those numbers are a bit outdated. We now have 106,000 young women in our network. And so our Our goal is that how do we create opportunities for them to engage with companies? And so companies see us as a marketplace to identify and recruit talent. So we can do things like online challenges where a company like Southwest Airlines might say, help us redesign our wheelchair boarding process. And then girls submit ideas and the top ideas actually work with the companies to implement those projects. And we've run those with a variety of companies ranging from JP Morgan to GSK to retailers like JCPenney's. And then on the offline side, we host immersive events like Discovery Days, which is a cross-country summer bus tour that takes our audience to visit the most innovative companies in America. This summer, we're visiting 50 companies across 10 cities. And that's one of my favorite things because we really get to be out there on the road and see what the girls and what the companies are excited about. So, so Caitlin, I think we should probably tell our listeners, make sure they, in case they're rapidly Googling this, because it's so so interesting that this is Jen Hurry with the word you know, her uh, tucked in the middle. There's an H in generation. Um, and the target audience of is is girls these are girls in high school uh, high school and college high so school. when we first started we were high schools uh, students and i think mainly because when i started this i was a sophomore in college mm-hmm. and i'm like who's going to listen to me uh, high school <laughs> students and as we've grown about 60% of our audience is college and our audience grows with us and really too for our job our goal is how can we get these young women jobs internships opportunities and i was so excited because just 2 weeks ago the first girl to ever join generation she was a senior in uh, high school in South Carolina when I met her, got offered a job at the Oprah Winfrey Network through Generation. Oh, and I was like, cool. member number one. That's like the ultimate success story. And with Oprah. Yeah. <laughs> I want to work for Oprah. Yeah. Uh, so you, you're talking about two major stakeholder mm-hmm. groups, corporates mm-hmm. and young women. Mm-hmm. What was the pain point or the you know gap or the need each of them had that Generation solves? Yeah. So to go back to your question that I didn't answer earlier okay. about what 
what was the, <laughs> what, what was the pain point that made me start this was that so I grew up I went to an all girls high school was a Girl Scout I have a super supportive nurturing family and when I went to Wharton I studied finance and I started thinking to myself I didn't even really know what finance was until mm-hmm. I went to Wharton and I said well if I want to be the CEO of an investment bank someday who can I be like and I started googling it and I was depressed short because yeah. the number I mean like two weeks ago it was 6.4% of Fortune 500 CEOs are women but two dropped out so yeah. that and one, one local one I know soup. and it yeah. was and so I just said this is a big problem because if you're putting you know young women in these classes and in a class of 40 maybe there were only five to eight women in an upper level finance class and I just thought that this is a problem so I would talk with companies and they would tell me the same issue that uh, getting women in the door is hard and really male-dominated environments but what we also try to solve is that a lot of companies only recruit from the same five to ten colleges uh, and it's really great if you go to a top tier what is considered a top tier school but you know I grew up in Buffalo New York and I don't think you know the Oprah Winfrey Network's not flying out to Buffalo to recruit <laughs> people and so we started thinking how could we close this gap so the the, the young woman I mentioned who was offered a job is actually from you know suburban South Carolina and always wanted to work in Hollywood. And she said, how could I do that? So by providing companies with not only, you know, geographic diversity, but Mm -hmm. also socioeconomic, ethnic diversity, that has been a really big pain point that we're trying to solve on both sides. Wonderful. And what I, one of the things I love and have always loved since we (laughs) knew this as a a freshly hatched idea, yes, as a student, was that when we talk about the pay gap, when we talk mm-hmm. about the gap of gender in the C-suite, it is an issue and it should be and can be addressed at that level. But it's also sort of a systems level issue that needs to be addressed earlier in the supply chain, if mm-hmm. you will. So in order to have more women CEOs, you need to have more women in senior leadership. In order to have more women in senior leadership, you need to just have more women working at the bank. And how do you get there? And how do you you know, help shape how folks are thinking about careers at this early age so that you don't have a problem down the line. Not a problem. You don't have a gap yeah, down the line. Pipeline is so critical. And I think when I was first starting and we were even earlier, you know, high school companies would say, oh, like, why do we want to talk to 16 year olds? And I understand that, you know, you're not going to be hiring a 16 year old. But if you look at a tech company and this girl never even thinks about being an engineer mm-hmm. or, you know, working in data analytics, she's not going to wake up when she's 35 years old and say, hey, I want to be in technology now. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's so critical and companies have recognized that because what happens is that the worst part is you probably hear when they're looking for boards of companies, they'll say, well, there weren't enough qualified women. Yeah. And you're yeah, like, well, you never even told them what it was about. So, right. And I think even there was an article in the New York Times about a month ago about how money is influenced to power and then thus influence. And it wasn't talking about, you know, you're going to buy a lot of shoes or clothes, but it was saying that women are a lot less likely to even talk about how much money they make or mm-hmm. the importance of saying, mm-hmm. I deserve more uh, compared to their male counterparts. And that shows drastically in raises and just promotion scales. So that's something that, you know, we're not these girls, you know, with your first job, you, you don't have that much leeway, but saying it's OK to speak up and it's OK to ask questions is something that we really try to hammer in at a young age. So tell us more about what you what what you hope girls learn. Mm-hmm 
from from participation in generation. Yes. Um, so what we really, I think, you know, for it's sort of two access and exposure are our key areas that I really hope that when a girl goes on a Discovery Days trip or she participates, uh, you know, in a challenge on our website that she's saying, I have, um, you know, I was exposed to a field that and women that maybe I knew nothing about, but now I also have access. I have the keys to get there. And I think it can be really intimidating to say, oh, I'm going to reach out to a powerful woman or I'm going to ask, you know, can I share? you for a day. And so I sort of, you know, as a company, we really try to break down those walls and just, you know, humanize everything and not make it seem so scary because I think a lot of girls are intimidated because they just have don't have anybody telling them how to do it in a productive way. And, I, and I'm curious to know more about your audience of these girls. I mean, you know, as you described, these barriers, these barriers felt daunting to you as mm-hmm. a Wharton undergrad. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm thinking they feel all the more daunting or you know, like you don't even know what the, those barriers are there because you're not even exploring them. If you are a first generation college student at a, at a community college, mm-hmm. no family had, who's done this kind of thing or knows these, these businesses are that you might be exposing them to are not household names. So who's the target audience and mm-hmm. uh, of, of these girls? How do you think about access and, and yeah, impact? Yeah, so 41% of our audience is a self-reported minority and about 23% are first generation college students. So something that's really important to us is, you know, not to sound cheesy, but the generation girl is the every girl. And we don't, we, you know, have girls equally from charter schools, public schools, private schools. And I think what's so interesting is when, you know, we get on a bus in Los Angeles and you have a girl from like a $45,000 a year private school and a girl who's on free or reduced lunch of how just putting them in one space and showing them that they're all on the same playing field, if Mm. just for this day and they can go forward, it's so empowering. And then that makes me think, what type of boundaries are we just placing on society, you know, on these girls in and of themselves? Because those girls are both equally qualified, you know, mentally, you know, they have great personalities, but we're just saying, oh, you live here, you live there. So of course you wouldn't apply for this job. I'm curious to know at this stage in the game, because as as Sandy said, we've known you, we've known you for (laughs) for a while now. Uh, It seems like yesterday we were, you were were doing an independent study in my office, but, uh, you know, reading up on, on um, girls, empowerment barriers and so on. Um, Tell us about the company today, how many yeah. employees, how yeah. you're structured, where you're based. Mm-hmm. So we have six full-time employees, which is really great. Sometimes I wake up and I'm like, I'm responsible for like six adult people. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so we actually just moved from New York to Philadelphia six months ago. So we're not too far. We're on I didn't the even F- know yeah, that. We're in the FMC Tower. Right. Uh, we have an office there. So we are predominantly, you know, in Philly. That's where our headquarters is. But we travel an exorbitant amount. But uh, as I've, you know, built my team, it's been really great because I've learned a lot about myself as a leader and mm-hmm. sometimes people who look great on paper are not the best people for the job or yeah. even previous work experience doesn't always translate into what you need. So it's really taught me how to motivate people and how to find people who work for the culture and you know as they say in the startup world you know be slow to hire and quick to fire and yeah. sometimes when people aren't a good fit you have to let them go because you know a week is like a year in startup life and it's not fair to keep people along if they're not going to be a fit so I have a you know a really great team now. My sister just graduated from Penn this year and she joined the team and that's a lot of fun. Uh, so we're a family business now. But, uh, you know, people older than me, you know, my sister's younger than me. But uh, so it's been a lot of fun just to grow as a leader and just what I, how I manage people today is very different from a year ago, how I would manage people. Yeah. And I want to talk a little bit about how the business has evolved yeah. because we've known several iterations of it through the, through the years, which is yeah. realistic, yeah. you know, and I think that there's often misconceptions that 
that great startups are, you know, immediately envisioned mm-hmm. as they, you know, end up, you know, being built and that it doesn't come with these sort of difficult pivots along the way. So talk to our listeners a little bit about what forced yeah. you know, evolution was required for generation to get where it is today. Yeah. And I mean, I feel like, you know, when you're in a startup, you have to be like Madonna constantly reinventing yourself. <laughs> uh, and I think of, you know, when I first started generation, I met Cheryl Coleman from Morton Social Impact yeah. in the bathroom while I was washing my hands and oh, she so gave me a, a $1,500 grant to get things going. Literally, the ultimate I, women's network. Yes, <laughs> in the bathroom washing my hands. But when we first started, it's sort of like three iterations. We were focused on, you know, just connecting girls with female executives. And then it became connecting them with specific companies that those executives belong to. And then when we hosted our first Discovery Days tour, companies started hiring people off the bus just on their own volition. And then I started thinking, Wow, this is a really great business opportunity mm-hmm. because there the companies pay a lot of money to recruit people. Mm-hmm. They, this is a you know a, a marginalized audience, if you will, that's hard to get to. And I realized that there this was a really big opportunity. So we've really pivoted. You know, as a company, our revenue model is B two B services to companies, but we don't have to charge girls to be a member or you know exorbitant types of fees, which is really great because you know as a business you have to keep the lights on, but you don't want to be passing on the cost to the people who you know are especially if you want from it. To yes. S- <laughs> You know, of diverse course. socioeconomic participation. Yeah. So three pivots, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and what do you measure? You know, what are the metrics you look yeah. at to say I'm being successful? Yeah. I need or I need to pivot. Yeah, I think it's like the my Wharton brain where you need both <laughs> quantitative and qualitative. So you know, while it's great to have that story to say a girl got a job with Oprah, but to say okay, what's the ROI when we post a challenge online like that Southwest challenge? How many people applied? How many of those yielded people clicking on their application website? How many people got hired? So we really, and you know, I know data analytics is a buzzword now, but we've really thought about sort of how can we measure the funnel and how many eyeballs are on these articles, how many people go on an event and then follow up with them. So I think we're still in the early stages. Like we do a good job at it, but we could be a lot better. And I think with technology, that's our goal. And, and uh, these challenges sound very cool. Can you, is there anyone yes. you can tell us about? Like, yeah. and, and tell us the, the winning solution? And yeah. Did Southwest figure out a better way to get yeah. uh, wheelchairs on board? <laughs> they're, they're working on it uh, as we speak. So we're actually... Uh, this one is going to be coming out, you know, very, very soon. Well, I'll, I'll share one of my favorites. It was with Airbnb. We actually had, you know, posted different famous landmarks like Cinderella's Castle, the Eiffel Tower. And we asked the audience that how would you market these famous landmarks as Airbnb locations? Uh, and it was really fun because the ideas are really creative and they were looking for people for their marketing team. Uh, and, you know, I, that was one of my favorites. That I was going to ask you, what are they solving for? Airbnb was looking for innovative marketing staff? Yes. Okay. Innovative marketing staff. And how would a young audience that, you know, millennial and Gen Zs are driven by experiences. So other than saying, oh, you know, come to the Eiffel Tower, it's more about like, can you have dinner, you know, at the Eiffel Tower and hear a, with, sit with a historian? And it was looking, you know, driving that. So it's so interesting that these ideas that they come up with. Very cool. Um, what, I, as we sort of come to the last couple minutes of our segment here, we have a lot of entrepreneurs who yes. listen to the show and, um and often look look for advice. Mm-hmm. So, in particular, you're a young entrepreneur mm-hmm. and um, and a, and a successful one. And so, we want your advice for mm-hmm. young entrepreneurs who have a venture, who are a student working on their venture. What are the things you would tell them? 
be transparent about what you want. Um, and I mean, like, if you want something, even how outlandish it is, literally ask for it. Uh, and so I, uh, so I'm, I'm not a shy person and I'll always tell people what I want, but I remember one of my best examples was when I had received the President's Engagement Prize from Penn. It's I was the bathroom, $1,500. Yeah, is the best example. <laughs> I was at an event. not shy. Yeah, I'm not shy. I was at an event and there was, you know, trustees there and I just said, there's a lot of important people here. I'm going to ask for something I want. So I said, hey, you know, we're going on our next summer tour and I really want to do it on national television, the announcement. Can anybody help me here? And the room sort of like breaks out in laughter and I'm like, yeah, like I don't get embarrassed. Uh, and so then a guy comes up to me after and says, I'm the chief business development officer of Comcast, which owns NBC. I can help you, but will you do something for me? Will you go on a cross-country train trip for millennial entrepreneurs and across 10 cities? This is like right after I graduated. I met all these people. I met a person who became the first investor in our seed round, and then he helped me, you know, get on TV. And I said, if it was that easy, I would just, you know, started doing that a long time ago. So <laughs> I think if you're raising money, if you want press, if you want clients, you just tell people, hey, I'm starting, you know, I'm raising a seed round. Do you know anybody? And that's the best way, you know, I think to that's do anything. That's great advice. That's great advice. Fantastic advice. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.